Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, a no holds barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis. We hope you enjoy the podcast you are about to hear. We do want to give you a trigger warning that we will be talking about suicide today due to untreated pain. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. There is a suicide or mental health hotline 988. I believe you could text or call or call 911. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for taking time out of your day to tune into this episode of the podcast, The Doctor Patient Forum. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, leave a comment, click like, follow us on all social media platforms. You've got myself, Claudia Mirandi, and my colleague, Bev Schechtman. Hey, Bev. Hi. So, Bev, today we're discussing suicide due to untreated pain. And I don't think people understand that this is common, right, Bev? Yeah, it actually is. I don't know how common it is to actually commit suicide. There are studies being done about that. We do know some studies we'll talk about in a little bit that show an increase in suicide when pain medication has been cut off. I do know that there are a lot of people that we hear from who were never suicidal before. And then when they're on in unrelenting pain without medication, they become suicidal because, you know, most people don't understand chronic and intractable pain, right? They think about it as something like, oh, well, I had surgery, I was in pain for five days, and then I was better. And so it wasn't that bad. I did it without any any kind of medication. But People don't understand. You think about the worst pain you've ever felt in your entire life ever. And think about that never going away even for a second. And then think about the fact that there's something that can take it away that the doctor is refusing to give you. And, you know, we've said this before, but they lose everything. People lose everything. They lose their jobs. They lose their homes. They lose their families. And, you know, a lot of times people lose all of their friends, too, because nobody really wants to hear about it sometimes. You know, if you're in pain all the time, people get tired of hearing about it. And so people lose their friends, too. And and we hear from a lot of people, right, Claudia, where it ends up being, you know, I've been doing this for so long and it's either um, I have two options. It's either go to the street and risk losing my life that way or suicide. So, yeah, it's yeah. Un- unfortunately, we hear from too many people. And, you know, Bev, you and I have also had our own fight with this. We were both very, very sick for years. I lost a lot of my friends. Yeah. My girlfriend saying, well, I don't invite you out anymore because you're always sick. Yeah. And it's, you know, we don't ask for these illnesses, but, uh, you know, I think people don't know this is happening because most of, you know, a lot, I don't know anybody that lives with constant unrelenting pain in my immediate circle of friends, but we right. hear from these people and you've got these anti-opioid crusaders like Andrew Kolodny, uh, who was quoted in an interview and he said oh yeah you know this the fact that uh you know the pain people aren't taking their life because of untreated pain they're taking it because it's a mental illness but Bev you have the exact quote what is it that he said well in the article they this article they were interviewing somebody about what happens when people are cut off of their medication and the article says talking about Andrew Kolodny he called the suicide claim totally bogus saying suicide can result from severe anxiety and panic attacks associated with drug withdrawal a problem that stems from addiction to painkillers, he said, not failure to treat pain uh, appropriately. 
So he is of the um, opinion that when people are cut off their medication, the only reason they would either commit suicide or go to the street is because they're addicted and want to prevent withdrawal. But, you know, there's been some studies done recently. I know um, Dr. Nabarun Dasgupta did a study in North Carolina that actually showed it's up to two years after they're cut off their medication that they are experiencing things like suicide and overdoses. And we'll put those things in the show notes for you, all the links we're talking about. We'll put the link to Dr. Kaladny's uh, quote. But, you know, when he first started with his narrative in 2011 or so, we didn't have anything to back up what we were saying. But now there are. I think there's like 13 now, 13 studies that have come out that have discussed what the horrible effects are on people when their medication is cut off on mental health and suicide. And what they're finding it seems pretty consistent that even if it's someone is on a so-called high dose opioid, even if they're on that, even if the doctor thinks they shouldn't have ever been put on it, that it's actually much safer to leave them on than to take them off. So it makes me wonder with all this evidence and they talk about evidence-based medicine, why are they still being cut off? And, you know, the only answer I could come up with is that doctors are afraid for their licenses and, and to go to prison, which goes back to our podcast with Ron Chapman. Um, he goes into that there. Yeah, that the false narrative against opioids continues. And who we're interviewing today, she's an amazing, an amazing lady. Her name is Sonia Sloan. And you're going to hear Sonia's interview. Her husband, Brent, took his life. And it was all, you know, Brent was living a great life until a tragic car accident changed the trajectory of their life forever. And we're going to have uh, a, another amazing interview with Sonia and how Sonia fought back for her family and how the jury awarded her family $7 million. And in my opinion, $7 million isn't enough money to replace uh, a loved one. Uh, you know, doctors continue to withhold adequate pain relief. And if you follow us, you know that in 2023, we're trying to get another bill sponsored in the state of Rhode Island, which removes any barriers from what a doctor can prescribe for acute pain. We're not nilly willy opioids for everyone. That, that's not how we roll. But the people that we advocate for, they've exhausted all alternatives to opioids. Right. Right. And, and that's a big, that's a big part of the problem. It's a big part of their false narrative is they're like, oh, these people, they feel a tiny bit of pain and they go, uh, like, they always downgrade it, like everyday aches and pains and they go to their doctor and they demand these high doses of opioids. But number one, I don't know anyone who actually goes to the doctor without trying Advil or Tavanol first. Most people try stretching and exercising, heat, like a heating pad and ice. I know even with Crohn's, I tried everything I could before I even went to the doctor. So it, it really is a false narrative that these people, they feel a tiny bit of pain and they go. A lot of these people have exhausted surgeries and, and steroid shots and physical therapy and, you know, absolutely everything. And what's to me, what I find so sad is we hear from so many people who were thriving, um, even though they had all of this pain because it was adequately managed and they, they held down jobs and careers and families and they were involved in their children's lives and then their medications cut off and they really do, they lose everything. So listen, everybody, take a listen to this episode. Leave your thoughts for us. Uh, don't forget, visit us at thedoctorpatientform.com. And if you are struggling uh, with thoughts of suicide, we urge you folks to call the suicide hotline phone number. Beverly will post that for you. Yep. 
call 911 uh, and just know that we are working uh, tirelessly to bring you folks relief. So check out the doctorpatientforum.com website for resources. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to this episode of the uh, Doctor Patient Forum. I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, today's guest in the past. And when I first read about her husband's story, I, I remember where I was in my house and I was I had goosebumps. Uh, so I'm so glad she could sit down with us today and share her story, her husband's story, her daughter's story. Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, Sonia Sloan. Hello. Hi there. Thank um, you for having me. Oh, absolutely, Sonia. You know, your story has just resonated with so many people uh, across the country. And, and just as a, a, you know, a brief uh, history, you know, you and your husband and your daughter were living an amazing life. And then in the summer of 2011, your lives were turned upside down. Brent was in a horrific accident that would leave him paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, and it was at that time that you learned that your husband would be dependent on high doses of opioids. So we know that Brent was in an accident, Sonia, and uh, part of his uh, plan of care would require him to split his time, uh, if I'm not mistaken, between Kentucky and California because he was receiving some great care in California. Is that correct? That is correct. So um, in 2016, you know, Brent became paralyzed from the car accident in 2011. And, uh, you know, all of his medical care uh, paralysis, care management, you know, pain medicine management, um, he had seen the same doctor for quite some time, for years. Matter of fact, he'd seen that doctor. It was tough because from the time that he was in the ICU right after his accident, you know, once he woke up out of the coma and was able to feel the pain, the intense pain that he had, I remember walking into the hospital room and the nurse pulling me to the side before I walked in the room and telling me, look, you know, he's in a lot of pain right now because he's now fully able to feel, you know, all the pain that he's in. Uh, because, you know, there he was medicated, he was in a coma. You know, once he was fully awake, he was fully aware of all the pain that he was in. And he had a pain pump. They had given him a pain pump at that time. And that nurse in ICU told me, you know, he's going to have to be on high doses of pain medication for the rest of his life for him to have any type of quality of life. So that was my first experience ever knowing anything about pain medicine and um, how that was going to affect our lives. Yeah. And then I'm sure you we probably saw a change in how doctors would manage his pain because the CDC published pain guidelines, which would have a chilling effect on uh, patients like Brent, uh, but he was able to receive the medication that he needed. Uh, this accident changed the, the trajectory of your life. And I don't think people realize nobody is immune from an accident or, right. Right, or a painful disease. So he, so, true. He, so he goes to San Diego and he's, it sounded like he was doing well. He was on a road to living somewhat of a quality filled life. They, they took good care of him. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because his pain was being managed, but not well. Uh, the, you know, the pain clinic that he was going to in Kentucky and had, you know, that pain doctor that he had seen, you're, you're in a, between a rock and a hard place because of, uh, 
just the quality. He wasn't receiving good quality of care. You know, they were barely managing his pain. And uh, it was very difficult for him to see his doctor. He rarely ever saw his actual, actual doctor. He usually saw nurse practitioners um, and he saw different nurse practitioners at times. So, you know, and they really just didn't have a lot of sympathy or compassion. And it was just a revolving door, patient after patient after patient, with very little time to give each patient. So, um, you know, he felt between he was in, in, in between a rock and a hard place because it was so difficult and hard to find another pain management clinic, you know, to, to, to transfer and move to another one. You know, so especially when you're on opioid medication, like the kind of medication he was on. So, um, but yes, once he went out to La Jolla, it was just like everything changed. He left out there. You know, and he left to California to La Jolla in pain. He was very sick. He was very frail. And they literally gave him a new lease on life. It, he gained probably 50 pounds or so when he was out there. He was the healthiest he had been since before his car accident uh, by the time he came back to visit. Um, you know, they gave him the surgeries that they were not willing to give him in Kentucky. Um, they kind of had written him off. And his pain was being managed uh, by those doctors out in California, you know? So he just had a new lease on life. His pain was meaning, being managed properly. He was being heard, he was being respected and he was getting healthy and he was healthy. They got rid of his infections. They were healing his wounds. And so it was like a new beginning for him. Yes. And according to, uh, you know, there's only been two articles covered. Uh, and this is why we want to, this is why I continue to interview you because you, your family has not received the media that they deserve. And that's what we're going to do. And I'm not stopping until Brent receives the media that he deserves. Absolutely. And the respect that he deserves. Yes. And it's, it's such a powerful story that can hopefully make a change for that now, hangman Son community overall. Sonia, he was at Commonwealth Pain and Spine in Kentucky. That's the uh, pain clinic that he was at prior to going to La Jolla. And from what I'm told, uh, Commonwealth Pain and Spine is, uh, you know, these are drill mills. These people make their money on injections and pain stimulators. And there's just not a whole lot of money just writing out a script for opioids. And, and these doctors do it begrudgingly. But he, he makes it out to La Jolla. He gains, uh, you know, the weight that he needs to gain. And he, he comes back to visit you, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. And when he comes back to visit you from La Jolla, what was the, what was the plan for his, for his treatment? Yes, yes. So before he came back, the, his doctors in La Jolla had coordinated his health, uh, his pain management, especially uh, with the pain doctors uh, that he'd already seen all those years uh, that were fully aware of Brent's medical conditions and the type of medication that he was on. They were treating Brent before he went to California. They were treating Brent when he would come back to visit. And so they had already coordinated his pain management um, and they let uh, Commonwealth Pain and Spine know uh, the amount of pain medication that Brent was currently taking and the reasons why he was taking that medication. Um, they were fully aware of, uh, you know, the changes in the amount of and dosage of uh, medication that Brent was, was now on, was currently on. And they were supposed to continue to see him and treat him while he was in town visiting us because the plan was for Brent to just be visiting us for, you know, a short amount of time. He still had other surgeries that he was going to have to go back to La Jolla for. And then me and my daughter were relocating out to California 
uh, to continue to be with him out there. So, you know, he came to Louisville, Kentucky to surprise us for my daughter's birthday. She was turning 12 and we were, you know, when we saw him, we just couldn't believe it. He just was glowing. He was so healthy and it was really, it was just a really good time for us to catch up and for him to spend time with us and especially celebrate my daughter's birthday. And, uh, you know, one of the first things I asked him was, you know, do you have your appointments made with, with Commonwealth pain, you know, with your pain doctors? Cause I wanted to make sure he was not going to be in pain while he was visiting us. And he said, yes, you know, that's all been taken care of. I already have an appointment, um, to get, you know, his prescription and to see the doctors there. And I thought, well, great, you know, I just want to make sure you're good to go. Um, so we thought everything was fine because, you know, his doctors in La Jolla, in La Jolla had done what they were supposed to do. But unfortunately, the ball got dropped uh, once he went back to Commonwealth Pain. Mm-hmm. How long had he been home for before he goes to Commonwealth Pain for this visit? The, the visit with the nurse practitioner that he would see. Was he home for a week, two weeks? Yeah, he was only home for probably about a week or so, maybe a week and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went in for his appointment and, uh, you know, didn't realize at all that they were going to try to put him, uh, mistakenly put him on this dose that he was on before he got his surgeries. Uh, and before he, uh, you know, got a higher dose, he, they, when he was in La Jolla, they ended up increasing his pain medication dosage because he was receiving surgeries out in, um, in La Jolla. And so they increased those dosages. But when he got back to Commonwealth Pain and went to that appointment, they mistakenly put him on the same dose he was taking before he got his surgeries out in California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they basically just copied it and pasted, you know, and, and come to find out the prescriptions were pre-written. So whoever had pre-written those prescriptions, cause they were just getting one patient in and out mm-hmm. after the other for time, for money. Uh, they already had his prescriptions pre-dated before they even saw him that day. Right. So they didn't, they, they, they never even bothered to look at his history, to, exactly. look, at the, to look at the surgeries that yeah. he underwent in California. So he goes to this visit. He doesn't see a, a medical doctor like most right. of these most of these pain clinics. You can't see the doctor because the doctor's making the money, forcing the injections and, and the nerve blocks and the ablation and the stimulator. So you see a nurse practitioner, which I have a very good friend who is a nurse practitioner, uh, a prescriber. And and she really does take time, but it sounds like this nurse practitioner just saw Brent, gave him his medication, Brent leaves, he goes to get it filled. And is that when he realizes that his medication has been reduced by 55%? Yes. He, he thought the, at first he thought that the pharmacy made a mistake, but then he realized that they had written the prescription wrong and gave him the wrong dose. And he immediately started calling the, uh, you know, Commonwealth pain to, to get it corrected and was just getting the runaround and uh, for weeks, just getting the runaround for weeks when they're in person a couple times thinking early on that it would be fixed, it would be corrected, you know, but as time went on, he realized, oh my goodness, they're, they're really blowing me off. They, they don't care. And the nurse practitioner that saw him was a new nurse practitioner that had never seen Brent before. She was new to the clinic. She'd never worked in pain management before. And, um, you know, it was a real shame because on the stand, she admitted to how, you know, during the trial, she admitted to not knowing much of anything about dosing pain medication. Uh, though she was just there as a face, as, as a figure 
to hand Brent his pre-written prescriptions, predated prescriptions, you know, and Brent has specifically asked to see his doctor. He's like, I really need to see my doctor. And time and time again, he tried to see his doctor. But this time when he was coming back in town, he knew how important it was for him to see his actual pain management doctor. But that fell on deaf ears. He saw a brand new nurse practitioner that had no, no knowledge of how to dose pain medication or what the difference was between a high dose or a low dose of pain medication. And uh, it was a real shame because, unfortunately, she, she treated a patient that she knew nothing about. Brent was a what they call a legacy patient. You know, he had a long history and was going to require strong doses of pain medication for the rest of his life. And she had no business treating not only a pain patient, but a pain patient like Brent. Mm -hmm. And I I know the listeners, uh, I know they're asking this question, and I'm not sure you're at liberty to provide us with an answer, but do you know the morphine milligram equivalents that Brent was taking in La Jolla and then what they reduced him to? Uh, when he came back to Kentucky? I don't know the exact numbers right now because I don't have them in front of me, but they cut his dose in half. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a little bit more than half, I believe. So he literally went from his full dose, you know, on, on, um, on pain medicine that was managing his pain. Mm -hmm. And it was literally cut in half. Oh um, my goodness. How awful. uh, When he, when, when they made the mistake of giving him the dose uh, that he was on. Um, at Commonwealth Pain once he returned. Yes. And he's at, now he continues to call Commonwealth Pain and Spine. And, and this happens all the time. People are desperate. Please, please see me. No, right. we're not going to see you. No, turns out Brent had to wait six days before they agreed to see him. And this is after you called. So now you're advocating for your husband. Who's Absolutely. Excruciating pain. Yes. They, they, they're not taking his calls. They call you or they call him and they say, don't call back again. You have to wait six days to see us. And I can only imagine what what your poor husband went through. Not only was he probably in terrible pain, but withdrawals on top of it. And we have to remove the ugliness that's that's associated with the word withdrawals. And sadly, uh, Sonia, I don't want to finish this sentence. So tell us what happens uh, Brent's at the pharmacy. They refuse to take his call and Brent texts you. Yes. Um, let me back up a little bit there because Brent went above and beyond to get the care that he needed. Um, he went to the emergency room. You know, he went through all the right uh, channels to get the care that he needed. Calling Commonwealth Pain numerous times, going there in person, me calling, me telling them, look, I'm so, my husband hasn't eaten um, or slept in days. He's in excruciating pain. In my exact words to that nurse practitioner was, I feel like if you do not see him or treat him, I'm afraid that he cannot go on. That was what I said to this nurse practitioner. And uh, they were having him jump through hoops. They were saying, well, we need to see the dose that he's on. We need the paperwork. You know, they should have already had everything. They had everything that they needed. All of that was set up before Brent even got back in town uh, through his doctors in La Jolla. So, um, you know, now you have someone that's going to the emergency room. He's letting them know that he was in excruciating pain. But because of all the, you know, laws, you know, when it comes to pain medication and opioids, you know, only your pain doctor can treat you, you know, unless you're an inpatient at, at the emergency room or at the hospital. 
So um, long story short, they treated Brent with a very small dose because he had fallen out of his wheelchair. They did some x-rays and realized that he had dislocated his hip on top of all the pain that he's already in. Oh, terrible. He had actually dislocated his hip. They treated him in the emergency room and they gave him orders. They said, you need to call your pain management doctor and you need to see them within the next 20, see, see them within the next 24 hours. And they refused, still refused to see or treat him or give him an appointment to help him in, in any way, in any way. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you know, um, he had a game plan. He said, you know, the next, the next morning, I remember he was up all night. He was in a lot of pain. He goes, I'm going to, um, go back to the emergency room. I'm going to call the, you know, Commonwealth pain. I'm going to go by there. And, uh, one of the last conversations that I had with that nurse practitioner, she said, you know, you need to tell your husband to stop calling here and to stop coming here. And I'm not going to keep calling the doctor. She goes, because he's dealing with real emergencies. That's what oh she said. Oh my God. Oh my yeah. God. So your, your husband, and the emergency room do, didn't even care enough. You know, had that emergency room cared, maybe one of the doctors would have picked up the phone and called off hours and say, I want to speak to the doctor. But not even a doctor could advocate on behalf of Brent. And, and this happens to pain sufferers all the time. If they're involved with the pain contract, God forbid they have acute pain. They're treated like dogs at the emergency room. They have to wait until they can see the pain doctor, the pain doctors, they're scrutinized by the DEA, by the state medical boards, and they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. It, it's just this hamster wheel that people like Brent are forced to, to participate in this horrible fractured system. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to digress. No, no, no. It, it is a fractured system. And you do have doctors that care and their hands are tied and they can't because of the certain you know laws that restrict them. But in Brent's case, it was unique because these, these doctors, you know, first of all, he hadn't seen his doctor in years. He was always seeing nurse practitioners. And these doctors lacked compassion. They lacked empathy because um, if they really would have, you know, followed through with everything that his doctors in La Jolla were telling them to do, they would have been aware. And matter of fact, they were aware. They were completely aware of the dose of pain medication that Brent was on because as soon as he got in town, Commonwealth Pain was ordered to, to write him a script uh, I, I believe it was just a, sh a short amount of time, just for another week or so, because he was running out. He was running out of pain medication. And of course, he couldn't get his scripts filled um, in Kentucky that were from California. So Commonwealth, so his, so his pain doctors in La Jolla had already communicated and reached out with, his, with Commonwealth Pain in Kentucky and told, told them, not only the amount of pain medication that Brent was on, but that Brent was going to require a short-term script until his appointment, his next appointment, because he was almost out of his pain medication. Yeah. And Commonwealth Pain not only wrote that higher dose in that prescription at that time, um, but Brent was able to fill it. So he did not run out. It was, a, it was like it was a prescription for about a week just to get him to his next appointment. And so then when he went to that next appointment, that was when he mistakenly got his dose cut in half because they had those pre-written prescriptions that the nurse practitioner just handed to Brent. You know, she didn't, she probably didn't even know what was on those, those, those prescriptions, you sure. know, they were just pre-written given to her and she just handed them, handed them to Brent and everything that Brent was telling her was in one ear and out the other, you know, it, it, she was just there as a face because the doctors didn't have the time because they were all about getting more patients in and out 
of their their funnel, you know, yeah. uh, for for revenue. And so these doctors were businessmen. They lost contact with treating patients with compassion and care and giving them the time that they deserved and, you know, and needed to have a quality, you know, uh, any type of quality of life. So, um, so when, when the mistake was made and they realized they made a mistake, they didn't even have enough compassion and care to fix it. You right. know, they, they didn't care that Brent was suffering. They figured you can just wait till your next appointment. Yeah. Um, so uh, they gave him the runaround. Brent did everything that he was told to do. We got him the paperwork, showing the higher dose that he was on, his records, like everything that they asked him to do. And I remember calling the nurse practitioner and I said, so do you have everything? You know, Brent said he faxed you over everything. And she said, yeah, well, I have everything. I want to let the doctor know. And I said, okay, we're so we're good, you know? And she's like, yeah, you know, I'll call Brent. I'll let him know that we have everything. I want to reach out to the doctor and let him know we have it. Mm -hmm. And I said, she goes, but you know, stop tell, tell him to stop calling here, to stop coming here because you know, the, he, the doctor's dealing with real emergencies. And so um, I called Brent back and I said, yeah, she said that she has everything that she needs. At this point, Brent is at the, at the pharmacy. He's in this car waiting. He's at the pharmacy. He's in tears. Mm -hmm. He's, he's, you know, I could hear him crying. He's in tears. Um, one of the last things he said to me was, I'm praying. He goes, I'm praying that they send it soon. Because in, in his mind at this point, he's done everything he's supposed to do. He, you sure. know, he's thinking they're, they're going to be sending in that, that script any minute now. And, and recognizing their mistake, fixing their mistake. And I said, okay, you know, I was, I was at work at the time. And I, I worked for a company where I could not take my phone. It was a, a federal job. So I could not have my phone in the office. I had to leave it in the car. And, uh, but I was communicating with Brent throughout the day on all my lunches, on my breaks. At this point, it was, you know, the afternoon. It was around maybe two o'clock or so. And uh, I said, okay, I said, well, I'll be getting off work in a couple of hours. I'm gonna go grab dinner. And he's like, yeah, I'm gonna get the, I'm gonna pick up my prescription. And I'm so exhausted. He goes, I'm gonna go ahead and pick up my prescription. I'm gonna go back home and I'm gonna go to sleep. You know, because I'm exhausted, I'm tired, you know, he's in a lot of pain. And I said, okay. I said, well, I'm going to grab dinner. I'm going to grab our daughter, you know, and I said, and I'll, I'll see you later, you know. Well, I'm thinking all is well. I'm thinking all is well. We're both thinking this when we hang up the phone with, with one another. And, um, but sadly, when I got off work and I got in my car and I grabbed my phone, I, I saw the text message and he said, I I'm done. I, they denied my script. And uh, he said, I love you always. Oh, my yeah. God, Tanya. I, you know, every time I hear this, and, and sadly, that was, that was the last time you had any communication, communication with your husband. And, you know, I see here that your husband was on one point on 540 morphine milligram equivalent. And that's not that high a dose for what somebody like your husband had gone through. Exactly. And then they reduced him to 240 MME in one visit. In one visit. In yes. one vi and I can only imagine what was going through your husband's, what was going through his mind because he had fought since 2011. He was surviving. Exactly. And, and Commonwealth Pain and Spine Doctor. I believe his name is Dr. Stephen Kyle Young, uh, you know, took your family away from you. I can only imagine what you, you're going through, you and your daughter, and then you muster up the courage, Sonia. You contact 
a law firm, Hans Poppy, out of Kentucky, and uh, you meet with Hans. You explain what's happening to him. Take us through that time because now you're mourning the loss of your husband. Your husband has taken his life because of Commonwealth pain and spine. You're at home with your daughter. You're living this nightmare. Take us through what happens leading us up to this trial. It was a nightmare. It was a horrible um, nightmare that I don't ever wish on anyone else, what we, me and my daughter had to go through. And our family is still going through at times. Um, because when you lose someone in that way, knowing that they were doing everything that they could to stick around and be around, they did everything right. But Britt had to make that impossible decision. It, the decision wasn't even made for him. Commonwealth pain and spine took his life because the kind of pain that Brent was in, if you can imagine the most excruciating worst pain that you've ever been in and times that by like a thousand, you know, or more, that's what his body, that's, that's the kind of condition that he was in. It was unbearable. No one can, no one could, could survive that and live that in that type of pain for, for as long as he had been in for, for days, literally begging for help, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, just knowing the suffering that he went through and then having to make that kind of decision on top of it, you know, was really hard. It was and, really- and, uh, of course. And Sonia, your husband followed the rules. He wasn't diverting exactly. his medication. Exactly. He was following the rules, but this country hates opioids so much, so much. And it's because of the, we vilify the opioid. And that's why your husband, they took your husband's life from you. Exactly. From, uh, our, from our family. And Brent was an ideal patient. They, they said that in trial. He, he was an ideal patient. Uh, Dr. Young said that, you know, on the stand in his own words, you know, Brent was an, you know, a cooperative patient. He did everything by the book and, um, you know, uh, they, they couldn't try to paint him as the drug seeker. They knew they couldn't do that. And so, cause that was not the case. And all of his medical records showed that he was a compliant patient. During the trial, they tried to uh, not take any responsibility for their actions. They made excuses, basically came up with this story uh, for trial, you know, for their defense that they were just afraid that Brent was on too high of a dose and that he purposely cut his dose, which was a completely different story, completely different story from their depositions before trial, before in their depositions, they, they blamed the nurse practitioner. They said they had no idea why Brent's medication was cut in half and that the, that the nurse practitioner did it. But, you know, a nurse practitioner by law isn't allowed to cut pain medication by half um, and, and write prescriptions uh, for that length of time on the dose that Brent was taking. So by the time they went to trial, we went to trial, they had a completely different story. And that story was that his pain medication was cut in half purposely. And so you have two doctors on the stand lying, lying through their teeth because the depositions that they gave under oath were completely different, you know? So they had a man-made attorney defense to try to get out of, of what they did to Brent. And, and, doc, and Dr. Stephen Kyle Young uh, in the trial, he said, well, this is a setup for a drug overdose because once again, they're vilifying the right. opioid. They're vilifying the person who is dependent on the opioid because it's part of this narrative, right? Everybody has to hate opioids, but people never took into account the people like Brent 
who would be dependent on high doses of opioids forever. Cause there's this, there's this ugliness and it, from what I, what I'm, what I'm reading about these two doctors, you know, they fed into that hateful narrative against opioids, but, uh, you know, the jury disagreed with the doctors. Sonia. Absolutely. And luckily we had, you know, Hans Poppy, um, for, for our, my family's attorney and uh, the Poppy Law Firm. And you had asked me, you know, that day that I met with Hans, um, I poured my heart out with him the very first time I met with Hans. We were sitting in his conference room and uh, I just told Hans everything that had happened, just like I'm telling you from beginning to end, to from the moment that Brent realized that his pain medication was you know, written incorrectly to the time that I got in my car and saw that text that he had taken his life. And I mean, I was just in tears and I was just begging for help in a way. Like you, like I felt like our story and Brent's story was so black and white. It was so right and wrong to me, obviously that, and uh, you know, I, I thought how, how could someone not realize that Commonwealth Pain and that these doctors at Commonwealth Pain and Spine were responsible for Brent's suicide. Thank God that Hans Poppy took the case because I know that it was a controversial case. It was a groundbreaking case. It was something that has never been done before and that a lot of other attorneys would have never touched. Um, but he said himself, the more he learned about the case, the angrier he got. And uh, I'm just forever thankful for, to him and his team uh, for taking the case because, um, you know, we, we got justice for Brent and they were able to just have all the, the evidence that we needed. Um, and so by the time we went to trial, I mean, it was obvious. I mean, the jurors came up to us after the verdict and we're, you know, sympathizing and, and uh, you know, saying, you know, we're so sorry for your, your late husband. We're so sorry for your family. The jurors were in tears. I mean, this and it, and it was a, a victory across the board on every on every account, uh, punitive damages, pain and suffering, uh, loss of consortium, um, you know, across the board on three different charges. They were found guilty. Um, all the jurors agreed. So um, it's a real shame that it took something as intense and, and sad and you know, for everything that Brent went through, that tragedy, his pain, his and suffering, that loss, um, and the pain and suffering that my family has gone through, it's a shame that we had to go through all of this, but I know there's so much good that can come out of it. Yeah. And so that's why I, I, I chose to sue um, Commonwealth Pain and Spine, because it was such an injustice. And it was so, so um, cruel, just cruel. You know, I always said they would have never have treated their own child that way or their own parent that way, their own spouse that way. But you would treat a disabled, you know, sick man that you know is dependent upon you. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, yeah. you would make that you would make that choice, that cruel choice to just turn your back and abandon someone like that. And that's what they did. And, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it an actionable offense for a physician to yes. withhold to withhold adequate pain relief. And I'll Absolutely. tell you what, Sonia, if it's the last thing that I do, I'm going to do it because withholding pain medication 
from somebody who needs it is criminal. Absolutely, Claudia. Absolutely. I, I mentioned that to Hans a number of times and never from the very beginning. I said, Hans, I said, can't why? Why isn't this case criminal? Like they are responsible for Brent's life. They took his life from him and they took Brent from my fam- from me and my daughter. Why isn't this a criminal offense? And, you know, he explained to me how how, how the current laws are, that this is going to be a civil trial and that there's no other way around it. Yeah. Um, and but to this to this day, I, I, I talked I mentioned it to Hans, Hans a number of times, like the laws need to be changed. What they did was criminal. Right. And, 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 you know, we're seeing all these payouts from opioid litigation. You know, I think we're up to thirty eight billion dollars. So thirty eight billion dollars pretty much has been invested in not treating people's pain. And, oh, and we've got to take away the ugliness from people who take pain medication. Absolutely. You know, I, I had a chance to Zoom with uh, Hans and mm-hmm. uh, one of his team members, uh, just the nicest, nicest people. And, and you know, Hans said, He was completely unaware that this was happening. He didn't know about the plight of the pain patient until he met with you. And hopefully we'll be able to, you know, continue the discussion with with, uh, more laws created to protect the patient. Because right now nobody is protecting the patient because of this false narrative against opioids. Now, you know, Sonia, I'm going to tell you, I don't understand why your family story is not picked up more media uh you know i see one one guy covered it and then uh beverly reached out to uh somebody that she works with maya solovitz and yes maya maya did a piece but and, and we're so thankful to people like maya but absolutely but we need 60 minutes covering it and and that's what we continue to try to do uh sonia i don't know first let me say on behalf of the doctor patient forum and and the Don't Punish Pain organization. We are so, so sorry that this happened to you. Unfortunately, this is not uncommon. Uh, There's a phenomenal pain advocate who has kept a private registry of people who have um, taken uh, their life because of untreated pain. And we're not just talking one person or two people. We're talking hundreds of people. And these people, their lives will not go down uh, in vain. And that's, what, and that's what we're going to continue to fight for at the doctor-patient forum. I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. Again, I can only imagine how difficult it is to walk down this very painful lane. I'm not sure if Bev has any questions for you. Are you there, Bev? Yeah, I'm here. The only thing that I was wondering, if you don't mind speaking about, when Brent was on the dose of opioids that worked for him, did you guys ever find that people were judging you, people who knew he was on opioids judged you? And also, once he passed away and people heard about the case, did you Mm. work that with any type of judgment or have most people just been very supportive? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, when Brent... um, Brent had, had, had told me one time, a number of times, you know, that he would love to not have to take pain medication, you know, because there's obviously, you know, some side effects to pain medication. But he said, you know, I have to. I have no choice but to be on pain medication. So you have pain patients like Brent who are have no choice but to be on pain medication for the rest of their lives. Even his pain doctor said that on the stand. He said Brent was gonna be, he was a patient that would probably be on pain medication for the rest of his life. Early on, 
before Brent went to California, when Brent was on pain medication. No, we, we had a really good support from, you know, my family, from our friends and from our neighbors. They knew that Brent was in a lot of pain at times. Um, they knew that he was sick at times, but we had support from our neighbors, from our family, from our friends. And, and of course, we supported each other. Um, but uh, I feel like it's crazy. I feel where Brent was disrespected the most was at his own pain clinic, even though they were physicians that are trained and licensed, licensed doctors to know that patients like Brent and chronic pain patients will be on, pain, on strong medication for the rest of their lives in some cases, they are sometimes treated the worst by those nurse practitioners and those doctors because they're looked down upon. They're, and looked they're, down not, upon. they're not so they're, making money just writing a script. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Most, in, mo in a lot of cases, they're not. Right. You know, Brent, Brent had gotten the injections. Brent had, got, Brent had done everything he could do to alleviate the pain that he was in for year, throughout those years. And so, uh, you know, the, the strong opioid medication was the only thing that helped relieve some of that pain to give him any kind of quality of life. And, uh, you know, he was lower middle class, a middle class, disabled, you know, uh, they, they just did not um, value his life. They didn't respect him. And so you hear that time and time again, when it comes to the disabled, the elderly, you know, they're preyed upon. They're seen as just a dollar sign after a while. And so, you know, that's what happened. Um, now we'll say this, um, after the trial, I, one of the local news stations did a story on, on, on the trial and, and that we won and got justice for Brent. And uh, they posted the story online as well. And I remember reading through a lot of those comments because the, the, the news piece was very brief. It didn't go into all the details of the doctors changing their stories from the deposition by the time they got to trial. You know, it was just a very brief, um, you know, news clip. And so it didn't tell the full story to show uh, the obvious guilt. By we, know, we know why that's happening. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know why, because God forbid a media outlet would ever cover why opiates are necessary. Tanya, were there nasty comments on there at all? Yes, exactly. That's what I was getting to. There were some just vile, nasty comments, uh, you know, trying, you know, people just commenting saying, oh, he was probably a drug seeker. And that, you know, maybe now we had a lot of support. Oh, my goodness. There was an outpouring of support. So don't get me wrong. Um, but after I read those comments and I was and I was responding, I was responding to a lot of those comments. But then I realized it was exhausting, you know. Um, and so I went on ahead and that was when I posted something because once it hit the news in my town, Louisville, Kentucky is not that big. It's, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody, you know, to a certain point. And so uh, that was when I made the choice to go ahead and, and post, the, you know, my the Brent's real story, the truth, uh, the full story on a Facebook post that I made. And uh, because they mentioned my name and I knew people were going to say, oh, you know, piece two and two together. And realize that's Brent. That's Brent Sloan, and uh, and I didn't want people to think that Brent was a drug seeker. Right. You know? and that's part of the. You know, we talk about this a lot now. Is our country um, is starting to open their eyes about how they've always treated people who have addiction and how um, you know the medical system has looked down on them. But unfortunately, for pain patients who are on opioids who don't struggle with addiction for whatever reason, right now 
they're allowed to be treated however the doctors want to treat them. And it's like they have to jump through hoops and you just kind of have to sit there and accept the treatment. Like you were saying, uh, sometimes the, the worst treatment is from the pain doctors themselves and you have to sit there and take it. And if you really um, question it or, or, you know, say that you don't understand why you're being treated that way, then you have, you could risk getting discharged for it. Oh, and it happens so many times. Um, Patients are discharged all the time because chronic pain patients don't get individualized care. They're all treated like addicts for the most part. And, uh, you know, you have cancer patients, you have patients that have other debilitating diseases and they get that individualized care. But sadly, a lot of chronic pain patients do not get that. They're all looked at as if you take opioid medication, you take strong pain medication, a high dose of pain medication, you must be a drug seeker. You you must be an addict. Right. And, and part of the false narrative is also when you're cut off of your medication or if it's cut down, the only reason why anyone would either try to get medicine elsewhere or take their own lives is, is because they're um, addicted and want to prevent withdrawal. But that's not what the studies show. The studies show that um, it happens up to two years even after, and it really is for pain relief. It's like our country has forgotten that people take this medication for pain. It's not only people with addiction that, you know, take this medication that, that don't want to stop. Mostly it's people with pain. And when they're stopped, right. it's the pain that's that's causing the misery. Exactly. In Brent's case, he was in excruciating, excruciating and debilitating pain. The kind of pain where you can't function, the kind of pain where you cannot eat, where you cannot sleep. I mean, he was like this for days. And, and, and so that's why he was crying, literally crying out for help, calling them, going there, me calling me. I could see, I could tell I was afraid, you know, I, I did not fathom that they would not help Brent. Cause it's like, how can you not offer your patient help by a mistake that you made and you, of all people, should know the kind of pain that he's in because you treat chronic pain patients. Right. So it, it just, to this day, it just blows my mind that they still chose not to not only treat Brent, but not even see him. Yep. Not even get him in his, their office. That's, that's a common mm-hmm. I'm hearing more often is that these people are like ghosted by their doctors. Sometimes they ghosted. Won't. Yeah, they won't even answer or anything. And the, it leaves the patient feeling you know, like totally desperate, not knowing what to mm-hmm. do. And you feel despondent because what are you supposed to do? If you show up, then you're looked at as being aggressive. But if they don't answer the phone, what are you supposed to do? Yes, exactly. Brent had left messages. Brent spoke to people. Brent went there. Brent continued to call. Um, and like that nurse practitioner said, you know, the doctors, I'm not going to keep bothering doctors. He's, he's dealing with real emergencies. Oh my goodness. They didn't even see that Brent being without, um, you know, his pain medication, the right dose of pain medication was an emergency. Of course, that's an emergency. And then tell him that he would have to go another week without any pain medication at all. Yeah. They said, we're not going to see you. We're not going to treat you. We'll see you at your next appointment, which was a week away. And they knew the position that they were putting Brent in and still chose to put him in that predicament where he had no other choice. No other choice. Sonia, did the doctors ever apologize to you or your family? No, they never apologized, um, which is sad. Not that there's anything that they could say, honestly, that 
would allow, you know, there's there's nothing they could say because I know the I know the full story. I I, I know what these doctors are capable of, and uh, the type of type of men that they are. Um, they have a consulting firm that they also run, where they teach pain doctors and pain clinics around the country uh, to get more patients. You know, a formula to get more patients for, for more million, for, for more revenue. So these are businessmen. Sure. Sure. Yeah. A lot, a lot of, the pain, a lot of the pain centers are, uh, are run by businessmen. It's profits over patients. Yes. So, Sonia, tell us about your life today with your daughter. You, you left Louisville and you've relocated to Florida. Yes. Yes. We needed a fresh start. And, uh, you know, we, you know, Brent and I had lived in, California for many years in San Diego. And of course, this paradise out there, you know, and, you know, before Britt passed away, the plan was for us to move back out to San Diego. And we were preparing for that, um, you know, up until, you know, uh, Britt passed away. So it was bitter. It was bittersweet. It was a bittersweet feeling for me to consider going out to San Diego uh, after losing Brent. So I thought, well, where can we go where there's still water, there's still sunshine, where we can have a fresh new start? And so we, we chose Florida, Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's you and your daughter. Yes, yes. And the last time we spoke, you were considering opening uh, a nonprofit or a foundation to bring awareness uh, to Brent, um, yes. to Brent's story. And, and I actually said, gosh, Sonia, you should run for office because you're, <laughs> you're so likable. Yep. Uh, and, you've, and you've been through so much. So if people do want to uh, donate to uh, your to a cause about uh, about Brent, is there a place for them to donate? Yes, there is a place right now. Um, I just I think I'm still in the process of getting the nonprofit started. Um, and it's called uh, Be the Better or Be the Greater Good. Uh, Be the Greater Good Sloan Foundation. So I'm still in the works of getting that started. Um, and when I have that fully up and running, I'll definitely let you know so that you can share that with your your listeners and your viewers. Okay. Great, great. Uh, but I do have a, um, a um, let's see here, a GoFundMe, a GoFundMe that I was going to go ahead and, uh, and, and post. So I'll, I'll make sure to send a link to great. you. Uh, okay. And- we can, um, I, I thought until I can get the foundation up and running, uh, we can take donations through the GoFundMe and move those donate those donations through the GoFundMe into the foundation once sure. it's up and running. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see the Brent Sloan law enacted. Uh, uh, yes. And, and yes. that's what, and that's the next step in this and in, in continuing Brent's story is get a piece of legislation in Brent's name, the Brent Sloan law. And I think we can help you do that, Sonia. I, like I said, I'm, I'm so glad that you took time uh, out of your day to be with us. And we're going to post any information uh, that Sonia just mentioned. We're going to uh, wrap up this episode of the Doctor Patient Forum, uh, Sonia, we thank you again, and we wish you and your beautiful daughter uh, only the best in carrying on Brent's name. Thank you so much. I appreciate that so much, and thank you for all of your support. And uh, yes, that's that's my 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 hope that we will have a law in place in memory of Brent that will change uh, the chronic pain laws uh, forever. 
so that his his uh, tragedy is not in vain. And so thank you for everything that you, you both are doing. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. It was such an honor to be able to speak with Sonia about her husband, Brent. We truly hope that this podcast will bring attention to Brent's story and bring awareness to untreated pain and the possibility of what can happen when someone's pain medication is cut off. As Claudia and I mentioned today, so many patients have reached out to us expressing that they just feel like they're at the end of their rope. And many of these patients never even struggled with thoughts of suicide before or even had any kind of mental health issues in the past. It's just that their pain medication has been cut off and they feel like they're at the end of their rope. And for so long, people like Andrew Kaladi said things like, oh, that's bogus that doesn't happen. But thankfully, there is a doctor in our community who believed us and he teamed up with a chronic pain patient who had been keeping track of deaths that she heard, suicides she heard from patients who had been cut off their medication. And he's running a study out of the University of Alabama His name is Dr. Stefan Kertes, and we are hopeful that we can interview him in the future, and hopefully we can also interview the chronic pain patient who is working with him. We are so grateful for those of you who have reached out to us saying how much you love our podcast. If you are enjoying our podcast, please follow us on Spotify and leave reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts in the future.